Hey there, Mike Stelzner coming to you with a fascinating update you might not be familiar with. Did you know that Social Media Examiner can deliver all the marketing, training, news, and trends, insights that you need into your inbox three days a week when you sign up for our newsletter and it's completely free? Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates and take your marketing to the next level. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I am super excited about today's show. I'll be joined by Robert Rose, and we're going to explore content marketing, native advertising, and what all of it means to your business. I think you're going to really enjoy this show. And now for an awesome discovery that I want to share with you. After introducing a vegetarian diet to piranhas, look what Michael Stelzner discovered. And by the way, for those of you that are just that are wondering if I've ever actually introduced food to piranhas. Of course I have not. I've never even seen a piranha except inside of a fish tank. But one thing I have seen is my website go down. And maybe you've had issues where your website doesn't seem to be operating properly and you're wondering whether or not it's just you. And maybe you do what I do. You reach out over Skype and you try to find someone who's at a remote location to see if they can test your site and see if it's down for them too. Well, enter today's awesome new Discovery, geopeaker.com, G-E-O-P-E-E-K-E-R.com, geopeaker.com. What you do is you put any URL in there, your homepage or sales page or a blog post or whatever, and what Geopeaker does is it goes ahead and loads up your website and shows you what it looks like in San Jose, California, in Ashburn, Virginia, in Sydney, Australia, San, well, I Sao Paulo, I guess is how you say it, Brazil, um, Ireland, and in Singapore. So what it does is it basically shows you how the rest of the world sees your website. And it allows you very quickly to determine whether or not you should ring the alarms and call up your IT people and say, holy cow, we got a problem. So geopeaker.com is something I've recently discovered and I have bookmarked inside of my browser. And I think you should check it out. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. With that, let's transition over to today's interview with Robert Rose. Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide. I'm very excited to be joined today by Robert Rose. If you don't know who Robert is, he's the co-author of the book, Managing Content Marketing. He's also the chief strategist at the Content Marketing Institute. Robert also co-hosts an awesome podcast that you need to listen to called This Old Marketing. Robert, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I mean, oh my gosh, I'm, I've, I've been such a fan for a long time. It's great to finally get on the show. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about content marketing, native advertising, and a lot more. So um, Robert, let's start with you defining content marketing. Um, let's just start there. 
Fantastic. Well, you know, there's, I mean, there's the definition that we, you know, that we've put out, you know, and, and it's funny, def, the definition of content marketing has been a topic we've been talking a lot about lately because of all of the confusion that seems to be out there with things like branded content and brand journalism and native advertising and all of these things. And, and the way that we define it at CMI anyway, sort of the, you know, dictionary definition, if you will, is this idea of content marketing is an approach, a methodology that is about creating, curating, distributing, and promoting content in order to drive some profitable action. And so that's a dictionary definition that's, you know, can get. Yeah, a so translate vague. that into it's everyday a, right, language. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's basically we have the power now to aggregate our own audiences, right? The 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 ability to publish and manage and create valuable content for customers. We now we don't have to rent audiences any longer from advertisers the way it used to be, and with that power, like in Spider Man, comes a great responsibility. In order for us to do it well, we have to create value for those customers through that content, either educational, it might be entertainment, it might be just plain usefulness, um, and creating experiences, really content driven experiences that deliver value that's separate and discreet from the product or service that we may be selling. And okay. so that's the real idea is just delivering value through content that helps us move our business forward. So kind of what I hear you saying is this is business slash brand slash marketer as publisher. Is that right? Exactly. And I would probably say media company instead of publisher because publishing sort of comes Implies to mind. Print. You know, it, yeah, yeah, text and 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 words. And these days it's so much more. It can be app development, it can be music, it can be movies, it can be so many it's multimedia really. So brand as media company, I would say. Interesting because you know, I you you may or may not know my 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 backstory before Social Media Examiner. I was, you know, the white paper guy, if you will. I wrote a book on <laughs> called called Writing White Papers and I and I kind of think that i don't know did what you actually call yourself the white paper guy no there was another guy called that okay <laughs> no i was just I, I you know people called me the king of white papers or whatever there but you I, go. I, ne- I never all right it's good to be the king i never gave myself that label but but the point of the matter was way back then in the early 2000s i was seeing white papers as the beginning of this because this was like a shift going on because businesses that were b2b back then had to had to beg and and suck up to magazine companies, you know, to try to get their their articles or their content published in traditional magazines. And along came white papers, which when done right were educational and could, you know, essentially for, uh, become kind of, if you will, brand journalism. I mean, do you think white papers were perhaps, as far as online stuff goes, some of the early examples of content marketing? Well, sure. I mean, you know, in white papers, you know, as you well know, right, white, you know, White papers have been around forever. Right. You know, they sort of, you know, they came out of sort of higher education and this idea that we were going to produce these even. very, yeah. Yeah, exactly, right? And so what has become of the white paper is really just an article, right? So if we look at it as sort of article, and in fact, there was used to be a term that I'm sure you're well aware of, the article marketing, right? And the idea of white papers are really about developing our brand as thought leader. And in some ways, you know, as HubSpot would often talk about being found, you know, when, you know, whether you believe the serious decisions or the Forrester number of 60% of a buying decision is done before the sales guy gets a call or the Forrester number, which says up to two thirds or 70% of the buying decision is done, you know, through the consumption of content before a sales guy gets a call. This idea that 
what Google has wrought really is this idea that as a B2B buyer, you're going to go out and search for information. And so that idea that used to be the consultative cell is now really changed into this idea of we can now publish content that illustrates our thought leadership on a subject that makes you want to talk to us about that subject. So um, when you mentioned earlier that um, the co- that content can be things beyond what we think about, for example, it can be video, it can be even app development. What came to mind for me was the Chipotle uh, scarecrow example. You're familiar with yeah. that one, aren't you? Oh, yeah, of course. Tell people yes. a little bit about what they did, if you if you recall. Well, Chipotle has done a, 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 a they've just done a number of wonderfully innovative things. The Scarecrow was one of them. It's this animated, I guess you'd call it a feature film, really. It's, I mean, it's not feature length film, but it's, it's, but like it's six a film. minutes or something. Yeah, yeah it's wonderful storytelling um, that really supports their brand approach, which is, of course, all natural and, and they don't like the big factory farms and, and that sort of thing. And it's this, it's this wonderfully detailed emotional story that, you know, that, is, that, that, that supports that brand message. And they've done that in other ways as well. They've created an entire TV series um, uh, that's called Farmed and Dangerous, where they actually have uh, really A-list, you know, maybe arguably B-list, but real actors from Hollywood and real a talent writers creating this wonderful sitcom that is about you know this very mechanical farm you know industrial farm and all of the trouble that it gets into. I mean, they've just done some really wonderful things with storytelling and emotional content that you know appeals to our humor or appeals to our emotion. It's a it's a it's a wonderful piece. Yeah, and in that particular video, the scarecrow, you know, you're following the story of the scarecrow that realizes he works for a big industrial place and he wants to open his own little organic um, place. And exactly. uh, and then in the end, you're you're driven to this opportunity to download a video game, which is to help the scarecrow, I think, escape from you know, this environment. And, you know, it's really intriguing to think about all that as content marketing, because there's really very little mention of Chipotle at all in any of this, is there? They're just the sponsor of it, right? That's exactly right. You know, and if you look at something, you know, where it's a little more overt, like what Lego does with all of its, you know, catalog slash magazines that are, you know, that have not only editorial content, but also, you know, embedded catalog you know, content as well, but also the Lego movie, which oh, is yeah. a wonderfully, you know, here's a, here's a movie produced by a brand that I contend is probably the favorite to win the Academy Award this year for, you know, best uh, animated feature film. And it's called the Lego movie. I mean, if we had, you know, <laughs> our, our product in front of the word movie, right? You know, think about that for a minute. I mean, that is, that is content marketing in its finest form. The only other movie I can think of that even came close to that was You've Got Mail with Tom Hanks, which was clearly an America Online advertising, that's a, right? It's a great one. I hadn't even thought about that before, but that's a wonderful example. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you know, people, hopefully, if you're listening right now, you're like, wow, okay, these are pretty powerful things. And, you know, in the past, how did we have to, you know, if you were a brand, you would have had to go through crazy channels and broker very expensive deals. And, and let's not underestimate how expensive it is to do these kinds of things at the level that, for example, Lego is doing it or Chipotle. But the outcome for Lego is probably massive. I'm guessing that they're going to have a banner year this year, don't you think? Absolutely. Well, they already are. I mean, they're creating unprecedented demand through the Lego movie in terms of, you know, what their sales are for some of the newer toys, which is amazing, right? They can embed some of the licensing deals they have with everything from Warner Brothers with the Batman character to Star Wars to, I mean, they have licensed so many different other titles to create new bricks from that they actually have created 
created demand for things that people didn't even realize they 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 wanted, which is you know which is incredible in and of itself. But when you even think about it, you start looking at the expenditures. You know, it, it's not just the Legos or the Chipotle's or the Coca Colas that can do this because. One, what they're spending on content is a drop in the bucket to what they're spending in traditional mass media, television, Super Bowl commercials, you know, stadium naming, all that stuff. This is but a drop in the bucket from an expense standpoint, but it has such a big impact on what they're doing from a from a brand standpoint. And you know, little companies are taking advantage of this. Yeah, as I well. wanted to it's ask that. Just, yeah, I wanted to ask that because for the little guys listening right now, you know, let's bring it down. You know, what are little businesses doing with content that's enabling them to not have to pay Google, you know, and all these other guys a lot of money and still having great success? Well, in fact, you know, when we look at research, this is where we really see the rubber meeting the road where smaller businesses are actually getting a lot of bang for their buck here because they can't afford to be on TV. They can't afford to be in print um, in where, you know, maybe the print magazines where they want to be. So their, their, their entire advertising budget might be, you know, a newspaper ad in the local newspaper or something like that. And what we've seen small businesses be able to do with content, and this goes for everything from startups to those that are you know, family-owned small businesses that have been around for a long time, by starting things like online blogging and social media and even to some extent print. We've seen print work really well as, as well. And take advantage of how inexpensive it is now to do things like a podcast, you know, with all irony duly noted, how easy it is to get these tools that can actually enable you to create, publish, distribute, and promote content. And if you can get good at it, and if you're a small business, there's chances are you're really passionate about it. You know, you can look at somebody like Marcus Sheridan, what he's done with his pool company in Virginia, which has gone on to be an extraordinary success by him doing one simple thing, which was to create a blog and an ebook answering every single question you could ever have about above ground pools, which has now propelled his business to number one in search rankings and huge success just by becoming that expert in that very small niche of what he's already passionate about, which is of course his small business. Well, and you know, everyone listening right now, this is content marketing. Of what, what we're doing right now is content marketing. And, you know, Robert, I mean, you, you guys, I think you're a year into your podcast. What has it done for your business? Well, for us, it's really, you know, we have, you know, everything for us revolves around our yearly show. So all of the things that we do revolve around pulling more people into content marketing world, which is in Cleveland in September. There you go for a plug. And, Everything we can do tries to pull people into that. So from the blog that we do to the consulting and advisory that we do to the workshops and masterclasses that we hold to the podcast is all about building a bigger tent for our audience. So the more that we can get people excited about evangelizing the process of content marketing and quite frankly get them successful at it, the more people are going to come to Content Marketing World and the more successful our business will be. So what is the what has the podcast done? I mean, I – it's you know, I don't have the exact subscriber numbers now, but I mean we're 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 getting really nice numbers now of number of subscribers and number of ongoing listeners on a monthly basis. And I can tell you, the number of people that are now aware of CMI and are listening to us and then coming to the show. I mean, I've had 
I can't tell you, hundreds of people come up to me at both content marketing world and the master classes and the workshops that I'm teaching saying, I heard about you through this podcast. The way I heard, somebody forwarded me the podcast, I started listening, I became a fan, and now I'm coming to a physical event. And so it's it's working. Well, and let me translate this to everyone that's listening. Whether you're you know, I, I think podcasting is one of the most cost-effective ways of doing content marketing because you think about it, you and Joe Polizzi are traveling all the time and you're in hotel rooms and you guys get together for once a week, right? And you record your show and you talk about the latest news and you guys share your insights and you both know what you're talking about. And by doing this, you know, you're spending about an hour and you're creating a piece of content that's later partially, you know, made into a blog post. And once people subscribe to this, they're listening to you 30 to 60 minutes every week, depending on, you know, how long their commute is and all that stuff. And they're getting fed by you and they're learning more about you. And that's what led to you being on this show because I started listening to your podcast and I'm like, okay, Robert's been really riffing on a couple things. I need to get him on my show. So there is another thing, you know, now you're getting in front of even a larger audience that's going to learn about you and your podcast. And, you know, that's all marketing and it's very effective. And I can tell you from my show, 30% of the people in the audience at my conference, which is about the same size as yours, are listeners to my podcast. So, you know, it's extremely powerful and, you know, I don't want to dwell anymore on that, but I would like to ask you another question. Um, A lot of people um, might be wondering if there's any research that you can share. And I know you guys do a joint research study with marketing profs about the effectiveness of content marketing. Do you have any of the stats off the top of your head? We do. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, so both the B2B and B2C studies are out. Uh, The B2C study just came out a week and a half ago. You can find it at the, at the website. Um, The B2B study has been out about a month now. Um, And so the numbers I'm going to give you are the B2B numbers, but the B2C numbers are, are, are very similar. And then we're also going to be releasing a nonprofit uh, so if you're a nonprofit, those 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 results will be segmenting out that, and then we'll also be doing a European version as well. Wow. So North America, the, what we've got now is North America here. So, um, you know, the the I think the the things that were really headliners for me this year were, you know, like every year we you can sort of the headline is everybody's doing it right. So last year it was ninety percent. This year, interestingly, and maybe because we increased our sample size by quite a bit, we had eighty six percent said they're doing it. But the really interesting thing to me this year was how few people actually feel really good about it right now. So, so only thirty four. So talk about what it is. You're talking about content yeah, marketing. It, success, right? Success at content marketing. They're doing so. You've got eighty six people who are doing some form of content marketing and 34% of them feel good about it in some way. They Mm -hmm. feel like they're effective at it. And so that's a big grouping of people who don't feel very confident about their ability to do it well. And what we found was we then segmented those two groups out and said, okay, those who feel like they're doing really great at it and are feeling effective and know how to measure it. And basically we sort of label them the effective content marketers. What are they doing that the ineffective content marketers aren't doing? And just clear and away, the what was what what came out was a strategy, and a codified process to it. In other words, basically, not just jumping in at the execution level and starting to quote unquote do content because that's so often the mistake is that we get into this. Let's just do some content. Let's create a blog. Let's do some social media, and we don't actually ask why, and then figure out the strategy for why and what we're actually going to get out of it. 
And then actually writing it down and referring to it frequently and actually getting the entire team aligned with it. That one simple thing is, is, was the major thing that sort of separated the effective versus the ineffective. I mean, and maybe it sounds simplistic, right, to say, of course, a, a good, smart strategy is what separates successful businesses from ineffective businesses. But this is really it. It's this, you know, if you needed a, if you needed a reason to go figure out content strategically, there it is, right, in black and white. That is so cool. Now, um, I, I do want to, you know, there's been obviously a lot of people that want to cr- that that just say, hey, we need to create content because all the competition is creating content. And I, I love that you're saying, hey, get a strategy, figure out how it's going to work for your business, and then of course exactly. you're going to be much more successful. Now, I want to just say as a side note, everyone who's listening. Robert and Joe's study that they put out every year is content marketing. We do the same thing and we've been doing it for for six years. We call it the social media marketing industry report. And in May, our uh, 2014 version came out. It's already been read, downloaded over 200,000 times. So, you know, even doing research and publicly putting out a report and then internally using some of that research to drive your own strategy for your business, that is marketing, is it not? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I mean, it becomes the thing, you know, when you start asking yourself, what content should we do? What what content should we be providing? Really, the question you're asking is, what value can we provide our audiences, our customers, our prospective customers? And research is an incredibly valuable thing because why? It's the one thing that you can do and if you do it well, it's something that can really differentiate you out there, right? Because it is you are the author of that and is something that your competition probably isn't doing. And so by sheer fact of the matter that you've got an audience that your competitors don't or that you have access to research that they don't, you providing and synthesizing that and telling them what it means and actually producing that research is an incredibly differentiating value that you can provide to your customers. Well, and it also goes way beyond just being valuable. It also is highly um, referenceable. I mean, every day in my my inbox, I'm getting alerts about different publications from the Wall Street Journal to you know Joe Blogger, who are referencing the data that's inside the report. And you know, all of a sudden, you're becoming not it's not just a marketing tool; it is now a justification tool, and it's a media tool. I mean, it just goes all over the place. It's crazy. I, yeah. I want to spend a little bit of time to to get into this native advertising thing because I know it's hot right now. <laughs> Talk about first of all, got a little bit of buzz around it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't even understand what it is. So let's step back and talk about what is native advertising and how does it differ from what we've been talking about so far? Sure. You know, native advertising has got a lot of buzz around it and it's, you know, at the end of the day, what it really is, is, is it's advertising. Um, well, I mean, I wrote a post uh, about six months ago where I said native advertising is neither, right? It's neither native nor advertising. But, but the idea is, is that you're paying for space like you would in an advertising sense, but what you're paying for is not the traditional ad space, you're actually paying for the space that you would write a post or write an article or write a, 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 a social update if it's a short form native advertising. So it might be literally an embedded post on Facebook or on Twitter, or it could be a paid for blog post, what we used to call advertorial back in the day, in either a print magazine or a blog or a newspaper or that sort of thing. And more and more publishers are seeing the opportunity to say, we can open up 
a section of our site or a section of our print magazine or a you know uh, a part of a page on our uh, on our publication to say this space is now for rent and you can write whatever you want to write as long as it sort of conforms with these guidelines and there is the rub of course of what really is those guidelines and then you pay for it and theoretically your content is seamlessly integrated into the magazine or the publisher's content and therefore the reader quote unquote never knows the difference and doesn't really and there's you get where John Oliver gets all upset about you know honesty and all that kind of stuff and yeah what about the Federal yeah. Trade Commission what's their take on is it FTC yeah. or whatever I mean because there's been a lot of issues about disclosures and stuff like this I mean uh, uh, well basically the FTC has stepped back and said we're not we're not stepping in yet right we, they've basically said we're not making any rulings on this yet nobody has you know it, there's there's a lot of noise going on around it and Everybody is trying to get their hands around some sort of standards, whether it's the IAB, which is the, of course, the Internet Advertising Bureau, and then there's the, um, then there's the FTC, which is you know getting you know talk about you know social media. They've been you know about social media and disclosures and right. and all that sort of thing. So there's a lot of noise going on right now, but there's nothing codified that that is really people that, that, that people can get their hands around. A lot of experimentation going on right now with with publishers and and a lot of you know a lot of angry people that are pissed off that journalists you know are getting a short end of the stick here and that you know publications aren't what they used to be and a lot of marketers who are going you know what this is an opportunity for me to get my content out there so I'm going to take it so there's it's a it's a lot of really interesting experimentation from my point of view well how is this any different than the advertorials we've been seeing for almost a decade you know what I mean they're like- not yeah they're not they're they're they are no different other than the fact that because it's now digital you've got the ability for us or the inability depending on your point of view for to make the for readers to make the distinction is arguably higher right so on a print magazine the advertorial would typically be in a different font and it would be on a different color paper and it would be very clear you know and so it was clearly marked as an advertorial and digital you know you can make the argument that it's not as clear or it's a little less clear or you know all of that and so right. that's really the only difference is is sort of the you know the the platforms that it's on and you know and where people are really angry you know speaking specifically to 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 your crowd is in social media right where where inserted posts into the Facebook feed or into Twitter or into LinkedIn is starting to really become the business model by which those companies are really starting to make their living. And so that becomes a really, you know, all the uproar over the Facebook algorithm is directly related to how much balance that Facebook is going to put toward things, posts that are paid for and promoted versus what's organically in my friends, you know, what what I'm interested in from my friends. So what's what's your personal take on native advertising? Um, you know, is it content marketing? Could it become content marketing? What's your thoughts? It's one component certainly. You know, it is it's it's one component of a, you know, when you think about a paid media strategy and earned media strategy and an owned media most often when we talk content marketing, we're talking about our owned media, right? So our blog, our print magazine, our, you know, our website, the things that we're doing that we own the property and we own the subscribers that we're attracting in there. But of course, there's overlap in that sort of Venn diagram kind of way. There's overlap into paid and earned and native advertising is, you know, firmly in the paid media category. And, you know, as a marketer, 
I don't really have a dog in the fight of the journalistic thing. So I, you know, I can sit on the sidelines and go, well, that's interesting that they're fighting about that and the ethics and the disclosure and stuff like that. But as a marketer, I'm going to, I'm going to take my opportunity. And anybody who's asking me if marketers are saying, well, should we do some native advertising? I'm like, yes, absolutely. Try it out and see if it works for you, but try it out with the conceit that you're actually going to pull in the subscribers into your owned media. You know, you're going to pull those subscribers into being your brand subscribers. Don't just go out there for brand recognition or something like that because then you're just contributing to the bottom line of the newspaper or the publication that you're paying. Why not pull them in, you know, use that opportunity to pay for that media to pull that subscriber into your content wherever it may, right? So, and, you know, I agree with that a sentiment because the idea here of becoming kind of a publisher like we've been talking about all along or a media entity, the idea of paying some other media entity to get your content out there isn't really any different than paying them for an ad. Why not just exactly. try to, why not try to publish your content on their site if they take contributed writers, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Why know. not? To, I mean, take advantage of it, right? It's that it's to take advantage of the opportunity while it's there, and you know, be careful and be balanced and watch what's going on and and have the appropriate calls to action and 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 all of those types of things. But you know, from the you know, and and by the way, if your if your ethics are such that you say, you know what, I don't like it, you know, and I I don't agree with it, and I think it's wrong, then. Then, then don't do it, you know? I mean, I think there's a spectrum. When I look at the ethics, I see this spectrum between, you know, and Joe and I have talked about this on our show where, you know, you look at something like newspapers or hard news, and it's really hard to make an argument for native advertising in hard news, but then you sort of peel back all the way back to maybe, you know, like popular culture or music or, you know, something like that. And you go, okay, I can see it there, right? I don't, I don't mind it so much when it's in pop culture and people magazine versus when it's in the wall street journal. Well, and you know, a lot of these, a lot of these traditional, even online publishers are hurting for money right now because advertisers, oh, yeah. advertising is not working anymore. And, um, you know, I, this is a way that they're looking to survive and I get it, but you know, there has been this long-standing separation of church and state between editorial and sponsors, yeah. right? I mean, and yeah, and that is a challenge. But you know, I'm going to get this number wrong, but I think New York Times just came out and said that 30 percent of their last quarter's revenue came from native advertising programs, and and it's not. I, I may be getting that number wrong, but it's high. It's a it's a big number. That's crazy. Yeah, and you know, people are going to obviously the publishers are going to follow the money. And, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely intriguing. And I, and I kind of look at the mommy blogger community. I don't know if you're familiar with what they're doing, but you know, so many of these mommy bloggers are, um, basically, uh, a lot of their stuff now is just all posts about promotional stuff. And they're often doing it in exchange for freebies and trades and stuff like that. And, you know, that's kind of like the early stages of where we're going with the really small at the small level. But the problem is that a lot of people aren't reading those publications anymore. And I think that's the slippery slope, isn't it? Well, right. I mean, you you know, you and I both know marketing thought leader, quote unquote, guru types who, you know, who do who are doing more and more, quote unquote, native or sponsored posts. And the quality of their blog has suffered because of it, you know, and it's and and it it, it is a slippery slope, I think. And, you know, as a, again, as a marketer, I go, I'm going to take advantage of that person's or that publisher's audience. And I'm going to you know, to, to use the phrase, I'm going to drink their milkshake, you know, and, but, 
as a publisher, I don't know that I would ever, this is one of the reasons that we've really struggled with it at CMI is we don't know that we want to do it. And if we're going to do native advertising, you can bet it's going to be in a very careful and considered way. Cause it's, it is a very slippery slope and, 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 and one that's uh, ripe for disaster. Well, my next question is kind of related to this. Um, if, if we are media companies, um, or if we aspire as marketers or brands to have media that we publish on our own properties, what are some ways that we can distribute that content? Um, what are your thoughts about that? Because obviously, this does come down to getting our message in front of an audience that's not our own. So what are sure. your thoughts on, on distribution of content? Yeah, I mean, there's a number. We're just actually going to come out with a study in a, in a couple of weeks here. It's just going through the final design on on this exact topic, distribution of content through paid media earned and 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 of course organic or you know earned, if you will. And th- there's a number of opportunities that you have now. Everything from you know going out to other publications and quite frankly guest posting, you know, earning your way into a guest post, which is everything from something as simple as going out to Huffington Post and becoming one of theirs or just going out and buy or, the- you, Or either of our sites, right? Yeah, exactly. Any, any for CMI, right, or your site or any, any anybody's really, and just really getting good at writing for other people. You know, I, have, I know one guy who makes all of his content marketing and his living, he doesn't have a blog. He basically writes for other people. He writes for Harvard Business Review and he writes for Forbes. There's and he nothing writes wrong for, with that, right? Because he's, nothing he, wrong with that. Because he's getting in front of an instant audience, right? Is exactly right. So he doesn't actually centralize his content. He actually disperses it everywhere. And his center of gravity is when you're ready to talk to me about me selling you something, that's when you're going to come to my website. And that's a perfectly fine way to do it. And that's the real key is, and then of course there are paid methods such as, you know, Taboola and Outbrain and sort of content syndication where it's like sort of Google ads for content where you can syndicate out your blog feed and have it appear as ads at the bottom of say CNN.com or other newspapers, you know, and then there's everything from, you know, I know a lot of marketers that are getting a lot of traction out of uh, sending press releases about their content, right? So getting their content covered and linked to from other sites by simply doing a press release about their newest white paper or their newest. You got to elaborate on that one because I thought press releases were dead. They're not at all, right? I mean, somewhere we've gotten in our heads that press releases have to meet some magical format, right? They always have to start out with, we're honored to talk about blah, blah, blah. And then we have some lengthy quote from our CEO that he would never say. And then we, you know, then we talk about us and, you know, and we write these very stilted sort of things that have become what are known as press releases. And then we send them out through the wire services. And remember, there's two things that we're talking about here. There's the press release, which I would argue is dead. And then there are the wire services that actually distribute content to all the news services and blogs and, and you know and all that sort of thing. And most of the wire services these days will also have a couple of different ways to distribute it. You can distribute it purely to news-oriented sites. You can distribute it to very focused, uh, categorical news sites. You can focus it just on bloggers. You can focus it on um, just on websites that cover various uh, uh, topics at some level. And if you then write the story that you're looking to get covered, in other words, don't write a press release, but actually write a news story, then you can send it out through the wire services and have it cover some aspect of, we were talking just a little bit ago about research, right? It's covering, so we do a press release about our research, but we write the article that's interesting and 
you know, that people want to read about the research and then send it out through the wire services so that it gets covered and then people link to it and visit and we get a lot of new visitors that way. Huh. So, so remember, you're talking like press P- you're, locking, you're talking like PR wire, business wire, PR newswire, these kinds of sites? Exactly, right? Or PR so web, got, I meant I meant. Yeah, right. You've got, you know, the format of press release, which I couldn't agree more with you, is dead, right? The press release format, we are proud to release our new blah, 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 and, you know, all of that, you know. But then there's the wire services, which could be a paid method for actually, you know, actually getting your story out into the world. Now, you've got to be judicious there, and you've got to make sure that you're doing it right and test it like everything. Test it. See if it's something you want to do. But don't be afraid to write the story you want to write instead of some stilted, press release format that you think you must meet some requirements for because that's the way it's always been done. Well, okay. So here's a question for you because I have done what you're talking about in the past. And um, j- traditionally, obviously, it's uh, it, it's distributed on, for example, businesswire.com and uh, some of their um, you know affiliate partners, which may be rather large web properties. But are there actually... Uh, you know, journalists, if you will, that maybe write for TechCrunch or Mashable that are out there scouring these things, looking for news. How does it actually, or is this more of a search engine optimization play? I'm curious what your thoughts are. It's a little bit of both, right? I mean, I would say it's more of a, it's more of a traffic awareness SEO play than it is sort of a qualitative targeting of influential journalists or bloggers that you're going to go out to. That as you're well aware and are, and are alluding to in the question, is re- that's a whole new world, right, of being able to target those people in a qualitative way. In Lee Oden talks about influencer marketing in a really high-quality way. He's a smart guy about that. And really targeting those people in a one-to-one messaging and relation, deepen, you know, deepening that relationship with those people to get them to talk about your particular story and cover your particular story. That's rare that that's going to happen through a press release. However, I will tell you that I've done with several clients that idea of releasing co- valuable content through a wire service in other words, uh, you know, the top lines of a research study or the, you know, the abstract of a white paper, really valuable white paper, or the, you know, first half of an interview with somebody really, you know, uh, a good thought leader and using the wires. And I've gotten attention. You know, you've got, you get attention from all kinds of people that you may not have thought you could get attention from purely because of the dispersal of the content through all these different channels that you never knew you could get into. Awesome. Well, Robert, I mean, we've just barely scratched at the uh, outer edges, if you will, of content marketing. And it's been an awesome, exactly. it's been an yeah. awesome dialogue. Um, tell folks where they can discover more about you and your book, Managing Content Marketing. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that, first of all. Thank you for that nice little plug. Um, you know, I guess the, the, the central place to get me is about.me slash Robert Rose. There you can get to uh, the website for the book, which is managing uh, managingcontentmarketing.com. On Twitter, I'm at Robert underscore Rose. Of course, I'm at the Content Marketing Institute, uh, and, I, and I author there. So any of those places would be fun places to connect with each and every one of you. Well, I know that you have really opened up the minds of a lot of people today with this dialogue, and I just want to thank you so much for joining us, Robert. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad we could finally get this together. I'm so, uh, I'm so happy to be on the show. Well, I hope you found that interview valuable and interesting. And if there was anything that we mentioned anywhere during the show and you missed it, well, don't worry about it. We take all the notes for you and you can find those notes at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 124. 
That stands for episode 124. Also, if you're new to the podcast and you're not already subscribing, you know it's free. Just hit that subscribe button on the podcast player of your choice. And if you've been a regular listener for a while and you've not yet done so, would you consider visiting socialmediaexaminer.com slash iTunes or socialmediaexaminer.com slash Stitcher and giving us a review and a rating. This just helps others know what you think about the show and it does help us get some more exposure. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.